You know, as <clears throat> every Sunday when we read the gospel or sometimes when we read the first reading, second reading, it would be good to have a Bible. Um, not that you don't possess a Bible, but to bring a Bible here, to come early, to read the reading and then read what's before that reading. Because a lot of the times you need context to understand the, full, like the fullness of what the gospel is trying to get across. And today is a, a very, very clear example of that. So what happens right before today's gospel? Does anybody know? Nobody? Man, this is a full church, too. Jesus calls James and John, Peter and Andrew. But what happens right before that? This is, this is what I love about Mark's gospel. It's just boom, 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 boom. It's the shortest gospel. If it was like, in, you know, like printed out in book form, it'd be like a picture, like a picture book. Like it's super not easy to understand. What happens right prior to that is Jesus comes onto the scene for the first time in his public ministry. And he announces the coming of the kingdom of God in our midst. And right after that, he calls his first apostles to begin building the kingdom. And right after that, the devil's there. Announcing his kingdom. Jesus walks into the synagogue to preach the kingdom of God and the devil comes running at him in his arrogance to pick a fight with him. Who, who are you, Jesus of Nazareth? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And it's like Jesus doesn't even listen to him. He's just like, come out of him and it's over. I love that. Have you ever seen the, in the, the Chosen? Right, the first time he drives out a demon in John's, you know, John the Baptist, they're running up and everything's breaking loose in camp because there's a demonic, demoniac in the camp and Jesus just runs up and he's like, out! And the guy just falls to the ground. That's it. It's over. And then John the Baptist is like, yeah! But it's, it's interesting because I think that this is why the people get freaked out. Because who, who can control the spiritual world except God alone? That's why you say, who is this guy? He's speaking with a new type of authority. And in that, he's giving us a new way to defend ourselves. We have authority, you guys, over unclean spirits, over the devil himself. But so few use this power. And that's why life is so difficult for some people. Some people don't even realize they're in a battle. You know, Jesus said that the, the road to life is narrow. And few take it, and it's difficult, and it is difficult. It becomes even more difficult when you realize that there's someone on the road who doesn't want you to reach your destination, who's trying to block you in different ways. And when Jesus is your guide, you have power in his name to remove obstacles on that road. And sometimes I think we're just naive to this fact, is if the devil really isn't trying to ruin your life, in your businesses, you know, at work, in your family, in your friendship. He's constantly trying to ruin everything. Because he hates you. He hates humanity. I mean, if it, like, like if there's, there's stuff going wrong, boy, that's just all our fault? There's more than meets the eye. And C.S. Lewis said... The greatest trick the devil ever played on humanity was getting us to believe he doesn't exist. That it's really just all us. It's our fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. 
There is a power in this world actively working against you every single day. And to, to be naive of this is just foolish. The enemy works in so many ways, but I've seen like two principal ways that he works. The first one is through selfishness, pride, arrogance, obstinacy. Call it whatever you want. It has many faces. But the idea that it's about me. Everything is about me. I get my way. I'm always right. I will sacrifice other people's reputation to make sure mine stays intact. It's everywhere. And it drives me nuts because we let him get away with this stuff. And the second one I see, and this is the devil getting us off the narrow road, is fear. And there could be a lot of, again, there's a lot of faces of fear. The one I most recently saw, there's a guy I'm working with, and he, is active, he has a terminal illness. He is actively dying. He hasn't been to confession in 20 years. And I said to him, I said, what's stopping you from going to confession? He said, nothing. I just don't want to go. Because he's afraid. There's fear of loneliness, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of having our sin exposed, fear of the unknown. And in that fear, the more we consent to fear, the more fuel we give the enemy to work in our lives. And the more he blocks our way. So how do we get rid of him? You know, I'm reading the, uh, a book with the high school kids right now called Wild at Heart. And uh, it's a great book on masculinity. And then we're reading the counter book, Captivating, which is on femininity. And there's a story in Wild at Heart. I love this story. It's about this man, Brigadier General Norman Coda. He was a general during World War, World War II. And when D-Day hit, he was in the second wave that came through. And so the first wave of men got through off the beaches and they were, they were pinned. He came up on this infantry that was pinned down. And there were Germans in this farmhouse. And they were having this gunfight back and forth. And so the general comes up to the captain. He's like, Captain, what are you doing? Why haven't you taken the farmhouse? And he looks at him and he's like, well, sir, they're, they're shooting at us. And he's like... Yeah, it's war. And he looks at him, he's like, Captain, I'm going to teach you how to clear a house of Germans. I'm going to start running. And you're going to start shooting. And when I get up to the house, I'm going to use these two things right here. And he has got two grenades. And he's like, with my men, and I'm going to clear the house. Is that clear, Captain? Yes, sir. He starts running. Start shooting. And they start shooting. And his men run up, throw grenades in. Boom, it's over. And he walks back, and as he comes up to him, he's like, Captain, are we clear now on how to rid a house of Germans? He said, yes, sir. You and I have power, authority, and this is our house. Sounds like a Nike commercial, doesn't it? <laughs> this is our house, and we must defend it. And we have grenades. We have dynamite. The problem is, is that few people ever pick it up. Some people might pick up a firecracker, maybe. But you have a ton of power. And sometimes I think a lot of the times, the devil, we have to be on the offensive. We're not hunkered down like those, those infantrymen being shot at, feeling like we're on the defensive all the time. We're rushing the home, destroying the enemy. So the first grenade that you have is the cross. The devil hates the cross. Why? Because that's how he was defeated. It would be like if I actually won a state championship in soccer, right? I never did. But if I did, and I took that trophy and I went up to all my buddies on VHS's team and just kept showing it to them. You see that? You see that? You see that? You see that? It's going to drive them nuts. 
That's why God, the Lord loves when we wear a cross devoutly. Not as a piece of jewelry. He loves when we make the sign of the cross. Do you understand what you're doing when you do that? You're tattooing yourself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are marking your body as a temple that belongs to Him. It makes the devil flee. Second arsenal grenade you've got is our mom. The Blessed Virgin Mary. It's a great story. My buddy told you he was involved in an exorcism out on the East Coast. And the priest kept saying to the demon, he said, I adjure you, I demand, I command you to listen to me. And the devil laughed at him. And he said, you don't understand, I listen to no man. And he said, oh, that's fine. Then you're going to listen to a woman. And he invokes the Blessed Virgin Mary. And right as he did, my buddy said this thing just shrieked. And all it says was, she's here. Done. It was all over. Her role in the scripture is to crush the head of Satan. If you don't think she has power to do it here in this life, for her, us, our, her beloved children, you're crazy. Third, we got the name of Mary, and even more so, we got the name of Jesus. I want to read this from the prayer. This is from the first prayer of a major exorcism. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy. And every demon from hell, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, be gone and stay far from this child of God. For it is Jesus who commands you. He who flung you headlong from the heights of heaven into the depths of hell. Listen, therefore, and tremble in fear, Satan, when we invoke the holy and terrible name of Jesus, which causes all hell to tremble. That's some strong language. I don't know if I've told you this story, but I saw what the name of Jesus can do. My second year as a priest, I was over at Christ the King. Or my first year as a priest, my second week. I was ordained two weeks and this happened. And I had a wedding. And at the wedding, I was sitting there and I noticed there was this girl about halfway back on the left side. And every time I said the name of Jesus, she would flinch. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. You know, like we asked this through our Lord Jesus Christ and she just... And I, you know, because I'm an idiot, I was like, I'm going to try this out a little bit here. So, <laughs> So I started preaching. I was like, I was like, John and Leslie, Jesus brings you here today. And she was just like, and I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, we laugh. It was terrible. It was awful. But it was like, I was like punching her with the name of Jesus. Well, then she comes up for communion. Then I'm like, body of Christ, body of Christ. And I see her coming. She's head down, you know, hair in front of her eyes and her face. Body of Christ, body of Christ. She comes up and I'm like, body of Christ. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, did anybody just see that? Like, she was just horrified by it. After Mass, I'm in the sacristy, and her dad comes up with her, brings her in head still down, just staring at the ground. He's like, Father, my daughter needs to receive communion. I'm like, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. Like, he's like, no, Father, please. So I like, I'm like, Laura, do you want to receive communion? Nothing. I said, Laura, look at me. Do you want to receive Jesus in the Eucharist? Nothing. And then I remembered the name of Jesus. And I was like, Laura, in the name of Jesus, answer me. Do you want to receive communion? And this woman looked up at me. And I have never been more afraid, I think, in my entire life than in that moment. 
I didn't see green eyes or twisting heads, but the darkness in her eyes and the emptiness and the sorrow and the pain that I saw, I just stepped backwards. And this little voice just said, yes. And I like ran and got the blessed sacrament and I gave her communion. As soon as I gave her communion, wham, hits the ground, goes into convulsions on the ground. Her dad and I are like holding her down. And all of a sudden she just goes limp and white. And I'm like, I said to her dad, I'm like, is she okay? He's like, yeah, it's the only time she sleeps. The only time she sleeps. There is power in the name of Jesus. St. Paul says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bend on the earth, above the earth and under the earth. James says that even the demons believe and tremble. We need to use that name. Because it has power, we need to say, when we're having a bad thought, an angry thought, a lustful thought, a greed thought, a thought of selfishness, spirit of lust, I command you in the name of Jesus, out. Spirit of greed, spirit of pride, spirit of anger, spirit of unforgiveness, spirit of envy, out. But then we also must say, and Jesus, bring your life into me. I give you permission. Breathe your resurrected life into me. But here's the problem, folks. We haven't used Jesus' name for this. We've turned it into a swear word. We've turned it into something that we just say when we're scared or shocked or really angry. This name, which all hell trembles at, we tend to make a mockery of. It is time to step back up using that name in battle. Not in vain. Fourth, the sacrament of confession. Every exorcist I know said that the strongest weapon they have in the spiritual realm to defeat the devil is confession. And yet, I just recently read a study that said 45% of Catholics haven't been to confession since their first communion. That's half the church is living in mortal sin. And you think we're going to have power? You think we're going to stand up as a church and fight back against the evils of this world? Give me a break. I don't think I hear 45% of your confessions here at the parish. Maybe 20 if I'm lucky. We cannot expect to be holy and avoid that sacrament. And if you say, well, I don't need that sacrament. I'm not that bad. You're already done. Devil's already got you. Because he's got you convinced that you're... You're free of sin. You know, I think it was Fulton Sheen, he said, it used to be that we had to convince the whole world that the Virgin Mary was immaculately conceived. And now everybody thinks they're immaculately conceived. I can't go two weeks. Pride, fear, anger, lust, greed, it's everywhere. We need that grace to fight against the enemy. So do a real examination of conscience. Come in and have a good confession. You can call me and set up a time if you want. Just do it. It gives you power. And finally, the Mass. This is the most powerful prayer we have. Is it any wonder? This is the encounter of God in the flesh to establish his kingdom, to fight the kingdom of darkness. Is it any wonder why he tries to get you to not come? He doesn't want you here. Because he knows there's power here. On that altar... There is power, and this is where we crush him. 
It's the greatest prayer on earth. And so today, I want to do something a little different for the creed. I'm not going to say the creed. What we're going to do is renew our baptismal promises and claim it. And when I ask you those questions, if you believe it, I don't want you to say anything unless you believe it. But if you believe it, I don't want to hear, hey, do you? Do you reject Satan? Hey, the devil laughs at that. It's a joke. I want to hear, I do. I mean it. I claim it. It's mine. I have authority over you. I own it. And so, if you do believe, and if you want to do this and claim your authority over the enemy today, then I invite you to please stand and respond to these questions. I ask you, do you renounce Satan? Do you renounce sin so as to live in the freedom of God's children? Do you renounce the lure of evil so that sin may have no mastery over you? Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered death and was buried, rose again from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do. Then go fight. <laughs>